Under a Red Glow is an everything photography podcast covering the entire range of photography from chemical, darkroom, and alternative-based processes all the way to modern digital photography and beyond. Be sure to visit us at www.underredglow.com. And now your host, John Milliker Jr. Hello, and thank you for joining us for episode 110 of the Under Red Glow podcast. My name is John Milliker. I'm a full-time photographer who practices, teaches, and demonstrates nearly every photographic process in history, including modern digital gear and techniques. And with me in studio is my co-host and lovely wife, Christine. She practices and demonstrates many processes herself and is our entry process, entry-level process and kids class instructor. Welcome, Christine. Good evening. Feels like it's been so long since I've I've done that. It's been about a week. It's been about a week or so. I don't know. I think a week and one day. I it's think. been uh, it's just been a crazy whirlwind week. Our uh, local camera club started meeting again, and uh, and that was uh, that was an it wasn't an ordeal, but uh, learned a lot about hybrid hybrid meetings. Uh, typically, well, we'll get into that. We'll talk a little bit about that. Okay. And we have uh, Labor Day weekend coming up pretty soon. And we will be at Old Bedford Village in Bedford, Pennsylvania again. at uh, their, uh, They have a Civil War event every Labor Day weekend at Old Bedford Village. And we'll be there making tintypes. Seems like it's been forever since we've made tintypes too. At least outside. Yeah. Maybe we'll get our tent by then. Or maybe not. But we'll find out after this word from our sponsor. Yeah, it's it. I think we talked about it last week. We got our tents in the hands of someone who promised them to us in a week, and it's now week three. They say Wednesday we will have them done. I'm so worried. We we gave we gave the the upholster a you know canvas. We picked out stuff that if that didn't work, we wanted this kind of canvas. We we wanted that. We we asked for natural threads like sale like i guess sale sale cotton sale maker cotton i guess and because we we have friends that had an upholstery maker fix their tent and use nylon thread and therefore every time it rained every little hole leaked and they had to seam seal i guess i guess seam sealing it is not terrible considering you know, our tents are wow they're what 13 14 years old Something like that. Yeah. And we've had a good run with them. We can't be upset. We can't be upset at, at, at the tents, you know, after after 13 years getting, you know, obliterated by, by a windstorm. But if we can get them back up and running, even if they have a little bit of inconsistencies, like, you know, we have to seam seal the stupid seams where they, they redid them, then I guess it is what it is. Better than buying a whole new tent and then waiting until maybe – maybe the end of next year before we get we get one well that's that's gonna be kind of fun uh, we are also planning a trip out to the paul c buff headquarters in nashville tennessee we have some white lightning studio lights our, our main studio lights for for modern studio photography the two of them are, are having problems with the fan. The fans are having problems in two of these units, and we want to take all three out there, drop them off, have the the fan boards replaced, have them them checked out, and and you know Christine and I because we're not you know we're not the smartest people. Instead of just shipping them out there, we figure why don't we make a a, a vacation out of it, and we're looking forward to it. It's an excuse to travel. Who it's an excuse to go. To go a different direction than north or south, which is usually uh, where we only go, and uh, and yeah, we're looking forward to that. We have a lot of stuff planned, and yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited to see the Paul C. Buff factory. Paul C. Buff makes, as I said, the white lightnings, and and many people know them as the Alien B light makers as well. Um, I I bought Alien Bs when I first started, and I'm like, you know what, I'm not too happy with these. They were okay, but when I buy something, I want it for the long haul. I, I sent them all back at a loss. Not at a loss, but, like, you know, they, they charged me extra shipping to send them back. And got the white lightnings, the, the step up, and those white lightnings have been great for whew, probably over 15 years now. I was going to say longer than you've known Maybe me. 20 years, to be honest with you. These white lightnings are just great and... And I, I love them. Love them so much. 
I like the speed of Tron, but there's something about the speed of Trons where, you know, you've got a box with all these metal contacts on the outside of the box that's holding 4,800 watts of, of power, watt seconds of power. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little unnerving. It's a little unnerving hooking that up somewhere and hitting the, the power button and that thing, you know, humming and <laughs> it's a little unnerving having that much power. I like everything contained in the white lightning, but the white lightnings cannot deliver nearly even a fraction of the, the lighting for indoor tin types that, that these can. And we have to send that one speedatron in also. And we have a speedatron that once we get past, I think once we get past the Christmas season, we have a couple private tin type events. Once we get past the Christmas season, then yeah, we've got one uh, speedatron pack that needs to go back. It's working fine. It's just that if you've got these connectors on the right-hand side and either the top one or the bottom one is going to give you 4,800 watts of power. Well, the problem is if we have the top one on there, it doesn't turn off the electricity to the light. It's bleeding electricity to the light, and that keeps the, it keeps the flash bulb kind of smoldering, and it, it, could, it could not only damage your, your Speedatron pack unit, but it can damage the light as well. And those, those flash bulbs in there, they're like, what, like 200 bucks or something. Definitely don't want to do that, but but if we if we plug into the other one, we're fine. But I just want to make sure that there's no no underlying problems that we need to get taken care of. And I think they're all the way in Chicago. That's that we're not we're not traveling to Chicago to take Speedatron units. We're just going to have to suck it up and pay the the shipping and the insurance out to them and back and see what they what they say about this light and get this light repaired. Yeah, I opened it up. I. I actually had the the nerve to open up the Speedatron pack once, and I looked at the connectors just to make sure there was no connector that was that was unsoldered or unconnected or I didn't see anything. But yeah, that was unnerving too. You open up and you see these big, big massive bank of capacitors and, whew. I I mean I'm an electronics guy. I like I like electronics. I had to get I had to work with a lot of uh, a lot of AC and DC electronics. Uh, working IT for 25 years, but just something about a big old kill you instantly box of, of, of electrons. Not a favorite. Yeah. Uh, be careful whenever you do that. Who? You. Well, everybody needs to be careful around Everyone, electronics. but Electricity. Yeah, I'm not going to open it up again. Like I said, I, I opened up ju just to see if there was something that was obvious and I didn't see anything. And it could be it, it could be a, a funky cable. It could be something that, you know, maybe a funky solder joint wherever it is. Not that I think that that these dumping these powers would actually have solder joints. Probably have you know bolted in, but we'll see. We'll see what what happens there. Our uh, as I mentioned, our camera club met hybrid for the first time last week. That and went pretty smoothly. It went really well. It I, I was so concerned about equipment problems and not getting streaming working and that uh, that that I, I was a little unprepared for the meeting and you know something else that was very difficult was having you know having 15 to 20 people in front of you but also also trying to make sure you keep your stream people happy as well and that's going to be something we're going to have to figure out um, I figured out that you know some 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 audio problems. I figured out some streaming problems. I, I lowered the 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 bit rate because the place where we're meeting has internet and it's nice internet, but it's not you know it's not fiber optic internet like we have here in the studio. So you know we have to we have to record it a little bit slower, a little bit lower bit rate. We're going to have to train all of our presenters and speakers to make sure they they talk at the microphone. And also, if there is a question or a comment, then, uh, you know, and, and this is kind of standard for if you're giving a presentation anyway, you repeat the question. But you got to think about this. A lot of camera club people, they're not professional presenters or professional uh, speech givers. And, and that, that's just going to take a little bit of time to get used to. But I'm sure they're going to be fine. Everybody, everybody did well. Uh, everybody did great, actually. And... 
and our, our next meeting is uh, is this Thursday coming up. We're looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, we're it's it's just a new I don't know, it's just a new challenge for me. Taking, you know, taking all the stuff, making making a studio out of uh, out of, you know, a 6-foot table and making sure everything is together, making sure that uh, that that we're we're representing the people that are presenting capturing the hdmi all that fun stuff it's 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 a lot of fun it's nerve-wracking but it's a lot of fun the problem is going to be when we get to some of our meetings we have some tabletop nights and things like that that are going to be harder to share with the people who aren't present exactly And, and and like christine said we have a tabletop meeting what that is 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 a couple of photographers will bring in light setups and everybody else will bring in like a like a little doodad, like a macro doodad or a still life setup or something, and people usually take turns and just play around with lights for the entire meeting, and that's going to be really difficult to. That's going to be difficult to to move over to a streaming kind of thing. Uh, what I think we're going to do is we're we're not going to stream it, and we're just going to record it. Just have a couple people with with some you know just take some video with cell phones. Maybe even stream from a cell phone, uh, but uh, but getting it from from a cell phone to the my you know my main streaming laptop and and a mixer just isn't really going to work out. So I think really the 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 best thing to do would be is is let people know that we're going to walk around with a cell phone and we're going to stream it, and then we we can have people with questions come up and I don't I don't know I'm not really sure I haven't figured that out yet. We've got a contingency plan for everything else except for that, or even like photo walks. We've got a couple of photo walks coming up as well, and that's it's just a lot. It's just a lot to think about. But it was it was fun. I had to get a couple different uh, connectors to work with the, the 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 giant TV that's there in our meeting room, and I just got those in today. Yeah, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. And my my end goal is I've been the president for what three years now, two two, years? two and two well and two years officially. Am I going on to my third year? Uh, my my ultimate goal is to make sure that several of the people in the club know how to do this. Now they're not going to have the the high end mixer that I've got. They're not going to have uh, a couple of the things that I've got. But if we can get people to get away with a laptop a microphone that's plugged into the the microphone port on the laptop and a webcam I think we're I think we're ahead of the game that way if I ever fall off a cliff or I drink the wrong chemical in the dark room uh, they they can continue to to work how how they work and it's it's simple it's very easy to learn it's like a fellow it's easy to learn difficult to master <laughs> I guess I don't know but yeah that that's been that was a really good time Oh, what else did we do? I don't know what else we did. That's the biggest things the last. That's the biggest weeks. thing. Had a couple private things which we'll talk about a little bit in uh, in the after show for our Patreon and subscription supporters. But beyond that, that's it. That's it. We've, we're 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 getting ready for Old Bedford as we talked about. Our our tents are hopefully going to be ready on Wednesday. Christine hopefully. and I are not really sure how things are going to work because. We ripped all the old ropes off of the tent and the the rain fly. I think we're just going to take a rain fly with us. We've been we've been offered a building to sleep in at night. Uh, we may just put the rain fly up, take ropes, take brand new ropes with us, and and just just get there early and redo the ropes, set up, and and do what we got to do. Yeah, we have to buy the ropes. We do. We need to get a, a big old pack of, I think they're manila ropes or whatever. All the ropes were need of repair anyway. Absolutely. And they get they get funky after a couple of years. This was the perfect time to do it since it was easier to transport it to get fixed without the ropes. And it's one less thing that the person had to deal with. Uh-huh. So that's why we're replacing them now. But uh-huh. it just creates a more difficult situation for us to get back up. Uh-huh. Although it's not that hard. Uh huh. Did we ever check our polls? Got to make sure our polls are doing good too. We, yeah, I don't. I, I don't, don't remember if were. our polls took a took a hit or not. We'll we'll find out. I think they were okay. 
I think. I don't know. We're going to take a look. But we'll figure it out. Uh, something that we wanted to talk about on this episode, and uh, and we've we've mentioned 360-degree cameras before, and I've actually had quite a bit of, of questions about 360 cameras, and uh, I wanted to kind of dedicate an, an episode to 360-degree cameras, what what they are, what they do, which, what can you do with them, and then some of the idiosyncrasies of the 360 cameras. As you know, I, I poo-pooed all over Insta360s. Let me get this right. Insta360s 1RS 1-inch 360 camera. Did I do it right? Did I do it right? I think you're close anyway. I think it's right. Uh, we poo-pooed all over that. Not that, uh, not that you shouldn't buy it, but the fact that, that they keep coming out with the same stuff over and over and over again. And even though this, this camera really doesn't have much better resolution than the previous camera, it does have one-inch sensors and Leica lenses. Great for, great for low light. We, we don't shoot in low light. And they've got some gimmicky stuff like star trails and nighttime this and nighttime that sky replacement in the app. Oh, that's terrible looking. We don't do any of that. But anyway, we, we poo-pooed all over that. And then, as as if magic, our, our Insta360 that we shoot, uh, that we shoot uh, virtual tours with, kind of kind of basic, basic, basic virtual tours and and some Google Photosphere stuff started having a problem. And to be honest with you, a and and starter 360 degree camera, you can get pretty good with with either like the Topaz sharpening, Topaz denoise, Topaz gigapixel. And if you, you know, you, you give yourself all the, the benefits in the world of, of shooting bracketing, going through a program like Photomatics, and then putting things together, you know, going through a program like PT GUI, it, you can get some really good results. Now, they're not going to be as good as a DSLR on a, a panoramic head, which we'll talk a, a little bit about that as well, but it's going to get you there. And, and honestly, a 360 camera is actually a lot of fun to play with. Even if you're never planning on making a virtual tour, you're never planning on, you know, uploading to Google, Street View, whatever. But there are so many great things you can do with a 360 camera. The, the problem with the Insta360 One RS One Inch 360 camera is that it's got a minimum focusing distance. And it's not really a minimum focusing distance as far as the focus of the lens, but it's more a minimum stitching distance. When you have a a three six excuse me a one hundred and ninety degree lens on each side of a camera, and you have a thick 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 camera like the Insta three sixty one RS one inch three sixty camera, it takes a couple feet about three feet before those those one hundred ninety degree images overlap and then they they can be stitched together <clears throat> excuse me some of the smaller ones are great i i when i first started playing with 360 and and just it, there's a big learning curve with 360 cameras too which i i loved i love anything that's that's difficult anything that takes it takes some really sitting down thinking experimenting and playing around to figure it out i've photographed uh, 360 cameras in the, the bottom of chip bags. I've photographed them in in a, a display of flowers. I remember we went to the Pez Museum up in Pennsylvania somewhere. I can't remember where that was, but we went to the Pez Museum and you know putting that between the big tubes of Pez. It's a really fun thing to do, and it can really give you some very interesting images. Christine loves a thing called Little Planet, and if you've ever seen this on Google, where it looks like someone is standing or bicycling or or a car or juggling or whatever on a sphere with with sky around it. It's a little planet. Christine likes them a lot. You can actually do the opposite, which is the planet is kind of like what was that X what was the Xbox game? With uh with Master Chief. Remember that? Oh um, but I can't what was remember. that game? Was it the ring? No, that's a scary. That's the scary horror movie. Oh, do me a favor. Find uh, do, do a search for the and when I I stood in line for the first Xbox and and I got this game, Halo. 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 
and you can make you can you can turn this little planet kind of inside out and you've got the sky as a as a circle in the middle and the land is out all the way out it's it's a gimmick if you're playing around and you're playing with 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 360 cameras and you're doing this stuff it's a gimmick but you could totally make it a style kind of thing and playing around every once in a while is great like the the fisheye lenses or or lens babies or pinhole caps for our DSLR cameras they're all kind of gimmicky in their own right and it's not a tool you're going to use all the time but you know what every once in a while just you see a scene that that is kind of close enough and cluttered enough and and it's just going to make an amazing 360 360 degree image I like it whenever we're at a dinner table and like the whole family's there or, or it's a special occasion and you can put it in the middle of the table and get everyone all at once. Absolutely. That's the type of photos I like to take with the 360 and also put you in context. Like whenever you go on vacation and you want a picture of yourself and your loved ones with the scenery around you. You can use it for that. So like that's what stick. I like. Yeah, absolutely. But you get the whole context. You get you and not just what's behind you, but what's in front of you also. It's 360 degrees. Up, right. down, left, right, north, south, east, west. I don't know how better to better to do it. <laughs> uh, the good thing about the fact that there is a minimum stitching distance is that the camera takes itself out of the situation. That minimum stitching distance goes around the camera, top, left, right, up, and down, and to a point, your tripod as well. If you've got a big selfie stick or a tripod with a, even, you know, some of our 360s, especially with the DSLR, I've got a big, heavy aluminum tripod. I need that camera to, I need that tripod to stay still. But the thing is, you can always go in, and there are programs that will allow you to, um, and we'll talk about the the zenith and the the nadir or nadir. I've heard people say it's difference, which is the top and the bottom of the image, and and you can go in and you can Photoshop those out. You can clone or heal around your tripod legs. I'm sure if you've ever looked at a Google Photosphere and you've looked down where oh I wonder what's down there, you either see a tripod or some legs or or sometimes you'll see some bad, you know, bad, like clone edits. That's that's why. That's how it works with uh, with the fact that it takes itself out of the out of the image, which is really pretty cool. Yeah, it it's is. really pretty cool. Uh, except let let's talk about and and we just we just uh, I was just talking to a friend of Christine's about three hundred sixty degree cameras. I see so many people drop them. And they just destroy the lenses. And previously, back when we were playing with the Ricos and the the Xiaomi Mi Sphere, and even the the beginning Insta 360s, from what I understand, those lenses are calibrated a certain way, and you're not really going to get yourself a new lens, or it's going to be as as much or or more than just you know what, turn that camera into a 180 degree camera and just just love it. We've got a Xiaomi that's that's like that. It's sadly one one lens has a, a, a nick taken out of it. And be good as a little fisheye, little fisheye camera, but it's you know, that little nick is is kind of a big pain in the butt. Be careful of your lenses. Not only not only dropping the camera, if you have it on a tripod or you have it perched vicariously somewhere, the good thing about the Insta 360 one RS one inch 360 cameras. It's it's a chunky boy, and you can set it, and you're you're pretty much guaranteed that sucker's. It's going to take a little bit more than normal to to knock that sucker. Even though it does have the lens up top, and it is top heavy, it's still better than like an Insta 360 one one X one X two whatever, or even the the Xiaomi the Ricoh Theta. Uh, and I even think the the GoPro 360 camera, I think it was called the Max, is still the same way. You you want to make sure you you do a good job at 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 giving it enough of a base to stabilize it, but not enough that you're going to have a nightmare cloning out a lot of dead space in that. Right. Uh, with your lenses as well, you also have to be careful about scratching them. 
a lot of these 360 cameras, they just don't have a good way to put a lens cap on it. Uh, the Ricoh Theta had the uh, had this little neoprene case. The Insta 360 One X had a neoprene case. The um, the Xiaomi Mi Sphere had like a I don't know. It was kind of like a, a fake felt padded plastic vinyl whatever case. And and the the Insta 360. I'm gonna stop saying that. the one inch. The Insta, the Insta 360 One Inch has kind of like this this silicon clamshell that just clamps around the lenses well the problem is you get a little piece of dust on the lens or maybe a, a speck of sand on the lens or in your in your neoprene case and you're sliding that camera in and out of there you could you could scratch that lens up a lot of these lenses are just plastic i don't know if the insta 36 the older insta 360s were plastic or glass but i know the xiaomi was plastic i think the ricoh theta might have been plastic they did a they did an okay enough job, but you know these are entry 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 level three sixty cameras. The problem with the Insta three sixty one inch is, as I said, they have a silicon clamshell that I'm sure people are just putting on the top of the camera, pushing it down, rubbing that that silicon uh, over top the lenses, and then when they take it off, they pull it they pull it straight up, which rubs it against the lenses. Man, that scares me. Get yourself a, you know, one of those microfiber cloths, keep it clean and use it only, 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 only put it over the camera and then put your, your lens cap over top of that. You should do that with the Ricoh and the one, the Insta all the time. Even the, even the Xiaomi, uh, we, we would do that because all it takes, like I said, is a little speck of, of sand inside that carrier or, or on your lens and you just put a big line up against it. And you thought you thought photoshopping out a tripod was bad. Try that. <laughs> That's such a pain. Uh, what what other accessory? Oh, another another thing about the these three sixty cameras. I see a lot of people just tearing out the the tripod screws on them. And I saw so many of the the Ricoh Thetas and the Insta what the Insta three sixty one one X or whatever it was. I just see you know somebody puts it on a, a selfie stick. They and I, I see it today. I see people like, hey, I got these command strips and I put a selfie stick on there with my Insta 361 inch. And, you know, they wonder why their cameras get damaged. These are not action cameras. They absolutely aren't. If, if you want an action camera, I've seen like a, a ball that has like six GoPros in it. Maybe get one of those. But these are not really made to be action cameras. And uh, and I see I see people ripping the tripod screws out. the The Insta three sixty one inch has a. Thankfully, it's got a better way to handle the tripod. Everything kind of connects up, like deranged Tetris, and the battery itself has the the tripod screw in it. But here's the problem: if you damage a tripod screw, yeah, go get yourself another battery. But if you damage a tripod screw, that camera is going down. And since that camera is pretty much all lens, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, they're so much easier to use if you have it on a selfie stick, but you don't want to store it on that, and you don't want to keep it on that. Right. Always take take it off. That's a good, that's a good point. Uh, how about accessories? Uh, accessories, I would say, get yourself some selfie sticks. And Insta360 makes one that's, that's actually pretty decent. You can get yourself a monopod if you want something sturdier. Um, for, for my, th for my lower end 360 tours, I've got a, a really cheap tripod that I took this, this crummy little, little ball head, this ball and this ball head's probably three quarters of an inch. It's tiny, 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 probably made for, you know, maybe putting a, a cell phone clip on there or something, but I took that off. I put some, some hardcore leveling stuff on it. And then I, you know, I go and I, I photograph with that. But the longer the selfie stick, the better. I've seen people hanging these things off of drones. I've actually got a, a drone attachment thing that's got a quarter-inch uh, number 20 tripod screw on the bottom. But the problem is you're going to launch it by hand and you're going to catch it by hand. And if for some reason you overload the drone or the drone has a bad day, you're, you're going to be out your 360 camera at least and potentially the drone as well. 
But accessories, accessories, uh, there's there's not really many accessories to go with it. Like I said, selfie stick. Maybe get yourself a a really, you know, on the back of the DJI Pocket 2, they have these these terrible little, I mean, they're, they're nice, but just the way they have it connected, it's terrible. But these tiny little metal tripod legs that, that collapse up into one one leg, I guess. And you can put that down and, and stabilize your camera on a table, which works out. Works out pretty good still. They do. Uh, these cameras also have photo and video, usually. Video is 6K. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit differently. Photos, I can't remember what the photos, I think the photos are like 6K as well, 6,200 6, and something on the longest side. And when you think about 360 degree images, they are two to one ratio. Therefore, the width of the image is double the height of the image. And a lot of programs, if you don't keep that ratio perfect, a lot of programs will freak out and not see it as a 360 degree image. Think about this, though. If the entire view, up, down, left, right, front, back, north, south, east, west, the entire view is 6K, what happens if you, what we call a reframe? What happens if a lot of people, they take these cameras, they they take a 360-degree view thinking that, oh, I will crop it later. Well, what happens if you crop, if you make it from a 360-degree to maybe a fisheye image? You're only using one side of the image. What happens to that 6K file size? It You, you don't have it all. You enhance it, right? You yes. go from 360 to 180. Therefore, if you're shooting a fisheye shot from your 360, you take the effective resolution and you cut it in half. So now you're... 6,000 on one side and, and some of the, you know, some of the older 360 cameras are, are, are less than that, but you're, you're, you're killing your resolution by half right there, right then and there. Right. That's a fish eye. Most people don't want a fish eye. They want, you know, they want a normal view, like maybe 50 millimeter or let's say 180. Let's pretend like you wanted, um, uh, you know, not even a 50 would probably be 90, 90 degrees. But, it, you know, let's say you, you, you cut it in again and you take an image from that. you gotta be you got to be ready for a lot of resolution change. And you're, you're throwing away a lot of data just for a cropped in, maybe, quote unquote, normal view of an image, maybe a 50 millimeter or whatever. And it just doesn't really work like that. You're going to be putting a lot of effort into denoise, sharpen, enlargement. Can it be done? Absolutely. It absolutely can be done. But the problem is you can't think of a 360 camera as the, oh, I'm going to just hold it above my head, hit the button, and then I'm going to be able to make any image happen at, sitting at the computer. Just not going to happen. Right. Same thing for video. Video is the same thing. I think the... I think the Insta 360 one inch is like 5888 width resolution, but they're, they're calling it 6K. I think it was 5888. I can't, I honestly, I can't even remember. Maybe it was 62 as well. But the same thing. If you take an image and you are looking around an image or looking around a video, if you're looking at a fisheye view, that's, that's half. And I know a lot of like YouTubers take them and deliberately only use half whenever they're out recording. Well, let's talk about this. Let's say they have a 5K video camera. Right. Let's say they now take and they're, they're using a fisheye. What is that? Half, right? Half. 2.5K. Well, that's 2,500 pixels wide, right? Right. What is HD, 1080p? 1080p is 1920 wide by 1080 high. So the thing is, is at, at fisheye, you're a little bit more than HD. If you, if you zoom in more, if you quote-unquote reframe in more with that camera and you're only shooting HD, 1080p HD, or maybe 720p, are you gonna, is it going to kill, your, is it gonna kill your, your viewership? No, it's not. It's not going to be as sharp as an actual 1080p camera. It just isn't. 
But the thing is, is, is William Osmond did a thing, and, and he was absolutely right, where he had a video and he made the video, you know, beautiful resolution but terrible audio. And then he did the same thing, terrible resolution but great audio. People will watch a video if it's got if it doesn't have the greatest video resolution as long as the audio is good. If the audio isn't good, people tune out immediately. They're just not going to stick around. So you can get away with it. In fact, we do it too. We've done it at for videos where 4K videos. You know, I'm shooting 4K on our side, and then here I'm have a, a 720p, maybe 640p asset that I'm 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 throwing up on the video, but I'm not shooting entire videos that way. I'm just kind of putting little little B-roll clips here and there. But that's something you've got to you've got to worry about when you're when you're shooting and you know, your 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 end goal being reframing, which again is taking 360 degrees and just picking out a 4x3 or a 16x9 little rectangle out of that you're throwing away most of your your resolution there. Right. We talked about Zenith and Nadir. Nadir, Nadir, whatever. I don't know how it's pronounced. I've heard so many people. Zenith is basically straight up on your camera, and Nadir is basically straight down on your camera. Now, these 360 cameras, they do a good job at the Zenith because there's nothing above the camera. There's nothing above the lenses of the camera, and therefore it's going to be able to seem, seem your image correctly. Sometimes you need to fix that. Let's say you've got a drone that the that like the gimbal goes up so many percent, and you've got a you're either shooting a pan a, a three hundred quote unquote three hundred sixty degree panorama sphere DJI calls it, or uh, or you're using that sphere, you're going to get the the nadir. Right, You're, it's going to be able to focus straight down, shoot straight down, and and be a part of that image, but it's not going to get the top, the zenith. And then you go in, and then you've got a couple, you've got a couple different options. You can take a photo of the sky with your cell phone. Uh, some people will say, you know, when you land the drone, you know, before you disconnect the software, point the drone up to the sky and and photograph that. That way, you can kind of stitch them all together. Um, or you can just blur it out, or you can put a token, uh, a Zenith or a Nadir token, which you've probably seen if you've ever gone to a photosphere on Google that was not made by like the Google Street View people. And what that is is just either a black a black sphere, or Google allows you to put your your contact information in there, and we can put you know our photography business, how to contact us, whatever. Right. But you've got to worry about the Zenith and Nadir. And if you're working in Photoshop, there is a plugin that works out that worked uh, that we used to use a lot um, before it. It's not 4K friendly. I don't know if it still is or not, but it's a company by the name of Flaming Pair, and they've got a software a piece of software called it's a Photoshop plugin called Flexify Two. And what this allows you to do is do all kind of weird stuff. You can make the little planets. You can make the wormholes. You can change the pitch, y'all, roll, zoom, whatever you want. But the the biggest part that I liked about that software was you can tell it to give you only the zenith and the nadir, which is you, you make a new layer, apply the zenith and nadir, and Photoshop will show you a, a square that's up and a square that's down. And therefore, if you need to go in and, and and clone or heal or edit the top or the bottom, you can. And then you can easily go backwards, combine the layers, and 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 you're good. Uh, that is a, a pretty good piece of software for sure. A lot of people leave their tripods in. Like I just found out today that I, I made a couple photospheres because we're trying to get back into the Google Trusted Photographer program. Um, I could not switch it over to my business account, so therefore I'm starting from scratch. But I'm photographing places as I go. We were in a hotel room uh, a couple weeks back, and I left the darn tripod in one image. Dang it. Some people leave the tripod. Some people clean it up. Some people put a dot there. Some people clean it up poorly sometimes and very good sometimes. It's hard when you're photographing a, a virtual tour or a 360 where you place the tripod is 
not only is it important to the point where where is the the quote unquote viewer going to be looking from looking around up down left right can the viewer see everything they need to see from this location well then you need to look down and say okay well where can i put this tripod so that it's easy for me to clone it out if you've got tiles i like putting the tripod in the middle of the tile and and just trying to trying to to pre-visualize the edit that you will be responsible for once you get that image back to your computer. And let's talk about Google's racket. Google's trusted photographer program used to be you had to get 50 photospheres accepted to Google. I had, I can't remember how many I had, but I had way more than that. And But think about that for a second. Google, who basically... Google, who basically runs on having people advertise through them, going back to their Google Maps profile, Google Maps is saying, okay, John, we'll make you a quote-unquote Google-trusted photographer. If you send us 50 images that are good enough that we publish, we'll then put your name in our trusted photographer guide, and then you can start advertising your business as a Google-trusted photographer. Now, here's a whole thick booklet of the ways you can and can't use the Google brand name, but do free work for us and we'll give you this quote unquote trusted photographer, not even certification, but it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a certification. Well, the problem is they discontinued, well, they paused it. They didn't discontinue. They paused the Google trusted photographer program. I don't know why. And now I can speculate why. The problem was is that Google had no real way of quality control with these images. If you go around and, and look around some of these images that are made by just normal everyday people, there's a lot of garbage out there, stuff that Google allowed to the platform. So there the, are these people that are photographing stuff. The horizons don't level up. The, the nadir is, is something the the zenith the the sky has a has a hole in it you know and google is allowing these people to have these images on the the photosphere and therefore you get 50 of them you can be a google trusted photographer i think they bit them in the butt because people without proper and it's not like you need training you don't need training to be a 360 degree photographer but you need practice and you need to be able to look at an image and say man i my horizons off how do i fix it Man, There's all sorts of seams that are showing up that crazy don't match up correctly. And uh, so so I think it bit them in the butt. I'm hoping that they are going to revamp the Google Trusted Photographer program. But uh, on the other hand, people that are buying, uh, people that are paying for 360 tours through Google, they don't care about that anymore. We're at a point where the Google Trusted Photographer program is is kind of a joke because, like I said, they let everybody in. And if you have a a good portfolio of your work, then that's going to get you a, a 360 job, not having a Google Trusted Photographer badge, uh, which, like I said, has become a joke. Hopefully Google revamps it and and puts it back into place and, and puts much stricter restrictions on that and that's why i'm working so hard to get my numbers back up because if they if they do it then i want to make sure uh and make sure that i'm i'm eligible for it but then again it, is it going to make my business any better no probably not is it going to bring is it going to flock people to me probably not but i guess it can't hurt if they re you know, revamp the whole system um, talking about that, uh, Google has changed the way things work. It used to be able to take interval images of a 360 to make a, uh, a blue line. When, when you're in Google Maps and you drag that little yellow guy, uh, the little naked Bart Simpson, to, to a street, and that street lights up in blue, a blue line, that is a blue line street view tour, kind of. And that's where you can look at the image and you can travel up and down the road and zoom in and zoom out. That's called a blue line. Well, you, Google used to allow you to take intervals and then upload those intervals in 360. Now Google requires you to have video. You've got to get the video. You've got to capture GPS at the same time. 
Now, there are ways around that, and, and we've done it a couple times when we've had GPS dropouts before we've, uh, before we've really upgraded our GPS game. But Google wants to see your GPS file, which is usually a, a, a GPX extension, at least for Windows. I'm, a Mac might be the same way. But Google is verifying where that is, and it's going to drop that where your GPS says it is. And if there are pieces missing, Google's going to reject it. Uh, there is a piece of software called UL2GSV. I think it stands for Upload to Google Street View. And there is a uh, there's a, a thing there that will allow you to put intervals and your GPS coordinates into that. And it will make a video with a new image every second. And Google's supposed to play nicey-nice with that. I've done it once. I didn't have very very good luck. The The, the, the views were all over the place. I, I I haven't really messed with it again because I've just been shooting video. Google wants you to sh to submit a video and a GPS file. That's just how it is for blue lines. Now you have blue dashes, I think. I think they call them blue dashes, where if you're walking down the street and you're using your cell phone, you can just kind of put your cell phone up and and click 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 as you walk. But they're not 360s. I think I think the blue dashes are a. I hate to say it's bad for the system it's bad for google street view but if i'm looking around and i see blue dashes and i know what blue dashes are i'm not clicking on them i want to see 360 and if i'm if i'm at a location then i will go to the google maps profile for that location look through their photos and usually people just dump photos on those all the time now i don't need to go to a park and see a photo of your um of your son's power wheel there's a little, you know, I, I, there's a lot of, I don't want to say garbage because it's not garbage, but there's a lot of unrelated stuff on the photos for these businesses for sure. And some of the like hotel rooms have, people don't keep <laughs> them clean. They go in and the beds are unmade and there's garbage everywhere. And you're looking at them like, why did you upload this? Here's a photo of, Here's a photo of my mistress laying laying on the bed with candy wrappers all over the place, and it's like, let me. I'm gonna. I'm. What what goes through somebody's mind when they sit there and say, I'm gonna upload that to the. I'm gonna upload that to Hilton. They'll love this. <laughs> no. Keep that to yourself. It's it's really odd. It's really odd and and kind of jarring when you're looking at it at a place. You're trying to find out about a place. And you're looking at the images, and then all of a sudden you see something completely unrelated or disgusting or, yeah. It's about, interesting. And to know how to edit the photos is sometimes hard for some people. I know I struggle with it if I'm not just doing a little planet or something small. It's tough. And I know you, I mean, you're pretty good at it, and you're good at fixing the seams. And well, I spent a lot of time right. learning it. If right. you spent the amount of time that I did, you'd be just as good, if not better. Right. But the problem is it's it's all about the software, too. Right. That makes a big difference. And let's talk about the software we use. Um, for, for virtual tour stuff, especially indoors, uh, if there is a window to the outside, I got to shoot. I got to bracket. And bracketing being I'm going to take uh, nine images from uh, from normal exposure to a little bit above ex uh, a little bit bright to very dark and I'm going to try to make sure that I get at least one image of the outside and then several images of the inside so that I can see I can see in every shadow and I can see detail in every bright like like outside I use photomatics Photomatic is a paid piece of software. It's an HDR piece of software with a ton of of just sliders and doodads and radio buttons and, and check boxes and drop downs. It's, it's an amazing piece of software for HDR. And I mean good HDR. HDR where... No halos. Well, halos are just way, way bad HDR. But the thing is, is these are images that you can look at and be like, huh... There's a lot of dynamic range there. Is that you don't know it's HDR? Like I say with vignetting, good vignetting, you don't even notice it's there. Same thing with HDR. If I see there's HDR artifacts, it's bad HDR immediately. Or if the 
uh, or if the, uh, the the cavern under the sink is the same brightness as the the sunlit lawn on the out the window, that's probably bad HDR. You need to know that there's contrast. There needs to be contrast mm -hmm. between the different areas. Yes, you want to see what's in those shadows, but there's a way to do it that looks realistic. Like do what you you're need it with your eyes. Do you need it? If you've got Photoshop, if you've got Lightroom, you've got HDR built in. Right. But really, these cameras are getting so good, you can bump. As long as you get a good, you're not completely blowing out the, the highlights or you're getting close, you can you can pull some of those in. You need to play around with your camera. Bring the image into camera raw, bring up the shadows, bring down the highlights, see how far you can push it. You may not need photomatics. If you're interested in photomatics, I think they have a Black Friday or Cyber Monday, whatever whatever it is, sale every year. Get on their mailing list. Get on their website and just check them out every once in a while. And the same thing for all of these programs, probably. Uh, the next piece of software is PT GUI. And PT GUI st stands for Panorama Tools. What was it? Panorama Tools Graphical User Interface. It's old throwback to a... Uh, if I remember correctly, it was MIT had this panorama tool that was command line only. And PT GUI was that, but a graphical user interface. A lot of programs that are command line only, like EXIF tool, E-X-I-F-T-O-O-L, has a EXIF tool GUI to make it easier. Because some of these graphical, some of these command line programs where you've got to type in the, the program, Put like some kind of special modifier, the frame rate, the resolution. Here's the input file. Here's the output file while keeping your directory structure. That's really intimidating for some people. The GUI, the GUI versions work. Well, PT GUI is no longer using the MIT stuff. It's actually using their own proprietary stuff. PT GUI is the the gold standard in panorama uh, photos, whether you're you're shooting a 360 camera with two 190 degree shots or whether you're photographing with a DSLR and you're using a panorama head to, uh, to, to put the camera up and then every five degrees, take a photo and then bring the camera down and, and just kind of make a, a, a big layer of images. PT GUI will detect the similarities in each image and then stitch them together. Usually with very good accuracy. If you're, if you're not feeding it garbage, as I say, you can't polish a turd. If you don't, if you, if you, if you put a polished turd in there, then you're going to be clicking and making your old control points. Okay. Well, here's a flagpole in this image, this image, and that. now I need to make these, I need to click on that flagpole for each one. If you feed it a good file, PT GUI is 95% of the time, maybe even higher going to get you a good image. You may need to tweak it a little bit. Great, great, whatever. Um, I will tell you, if you're going to buy PT GUI, I think it was $150, and then the, the pro version is $310, $320. If you're serious about this stuff and you don't want to spend time wasting with the control points, get the, get the pro version because it has an algorithm in there that will automatically detect where seams go between your images. And they will place them on vertical lines so that if, if they're off a little bit, you're not going to notice it. It's an amazing piece of software. It also has some automatic hole filling stuff. I don't, I don't use any of that, but PT GUI is, is really a good piece of software. If you're only photographing, like, let's say like, you know, you're, you're photographing three images left to right. Uh, you can use Lightroom. I think even Photoshop might have a panorama thing. Uh, there's a tool called Microsoft image composite editor, Microsoft ICE that a lot of people swear by. Uh, I never, I always would load it, but I never really had the greatest luck out of it. Maybe you would, but Microsoft ICE. Um, there is a program called Hugin, H-U-G-I-N, which is very similar to PT GUI, but it is a much bigger learning curve. You've got to, you've got to massage your images much, much, much better to get them, uh, to get them looking good. Uh, what else? Um, we talked about like Topaz Denoise, Topaz Sharpen, Topaz Gigapixel. I send all my images through through some presets of those three to get them looking a little bit better. Especially indoors, you may have you may have noise, you may have you know you you 
you want your image to look as crisp and clean and, and almost as sterile as possible. Because people, when they see a, a virtual tour, they like zooming in to screw heads on the, on the furniture. More programs, uh, as I said, you can, you can upload your, your photo spheres. And we talked about blue lines and blue dashes or blue dots, whatever it is. You also have your, your blue spheres, which is, hey, I'm standing, I'm standing on the torch at the Statue of Liberty. I'm going to make an image. They don't do that anymore, by the way. I'm going to make an image holding my selfie stick out, and I'm going to upload it to Google. It's, it's not part of a tour. It's not part of the blue line where you can kind of zoom here and zoom there. It is a single sphere. And if you've dragged the little Bart Simpson over in Google Maps, you've probably seen those just, they're just blue dots. And all it is, a 360 image that somebody decided to upload. And you can upload that through Google Maps easily. There is also an app called Google Street View, which you can do it easily as well. And Google Street View works well because not only can you attribute it, the Google Street View app, not only can you attribute that image to the right business, but you can also then drag it and get really pinpoint accuracy of where that image belongs on the map. Therefore, you know, if, if, the, if your GPS was off a little bit or maybe you didn't have a GPS that day and you still want to contribute that image, you can do that. When you talk about, you know, doing the blue lines, I said you've got to shoot video or use this program UL2GSV to take intervals and a GPX file, and and it makes a it makes a geocoded uh, MP4 for you. Well, you have some other options as well. Now, normally your clients are going to want to have a Google tour. And uh, before I got this latest piece of software, we we were using Go Through, and it's a service called uh, G O T O H. Excuse me, G O T H R U, and you can upload your images to there. You can build your build your virtual tour. They even had a piece of software that that you can run on your desktop. They even had a phone app, although I've never used that. You can make a tour, and depending on your subscription level, they had a free version. You can pay. $10 to put a, a client's tour up. And this is a tour that is inside their building. Let's say you've got a Google street view. You use Google street view to get to the front door of the building. Well, this goes into the building and a lot of that stuff is so poorly done. We have a friend of ours that has a shop and it's, it's kind of a new thing. I mean, I don't want to throw anybody in the bus because this is kind of still a new thing, but there's so much when you're thinking about submitting an image to, to Google and then submitting a tour, you, when you think about a tour, you've got to set the, the beginning. You've, not only do you need to clean up your, your 360s, but you've got to set the, the default view. When you enter a tour, what direction am I automatically going to see? If I'm looking up the, at, the, at a dusty air vent, that sucks. And then you've got to place your Google tour images so that people can walk in normal spaces and, and not have seven images in front of your counter that pretty much are a foot apart because the Google, the, the, the virtual tour photographer wanted to sell you the package that was higher and sold you seven images in front of your counter. But go through was, was what we had always used. We just bought a piece of software called Pano 2 VR. P-A-N-O-2, the number two, V-R. And that is supposed to have Google tour uploads inside of that. And I like that better because that is a one-and-done purchase, at least per major version number. One-and-done purchase, and I can upload as many Google Street View tours as I want. I haven't yet, but I plan on in the next week or two. It also has a lot of skins that you can customize and make it your own so well i was going to get i was going to get to that next this is i'm talking about google tours for now sorry some people want a tour on their website not many but some people do and and we always used a program called panellum p-a-n-n-e-l-l-u-m and this is a html command line you, you really need to make a multi-res panorama out of your images through the panellum generate 
command line program. And it, it required a lot of HTML, a lot of HTML to make it work. And if you wanted to make hotspots and if you wanted to make tours and if you wanted to be able to click in a, ver in a 360 to go to the next 360 and then set the default view for that, it was a lot of HTML work. You were, you, were, you were configuring a JSON file, which is basically a Notepad document, basically. It's just ASCII. And you would open it up in Notepad or Notepad++ and you would edit that. Very, very time-consuming. and It's not difficult, but it just takes a long time. There is also a tool that I just found out this week called Marzipano, Marzipano, uh, M-A-R-Z-I-P-A-N-O, and that is a piece of software that it's open source and free. You can actually go online and enter all of this stuff in there. You can put, I think Marzipano had tours. Yeah, Marzipano had tours. But the problem was it didn't seem to be the highest resolution and it gave you an ex it gave you a zip file that you can then put on your website. You couldn't save the project. The problem is if I export a, a document, if I export a tour for someone to put on their website, and I realize that, well, maybe I, I had the wrong I went the wrong way, or maybe someone wanted to change something, they they wanted to to take something out, I had to start the tour all over from scratch again. Marzipano does not have a way to log in and save. Thing is, is, is don't even save your images because that would take a lot of server space. Save at least just the, the zeros and ones of, of the tour. Or let me export the tour and then re-import it. But it, it, it didn't allow that. So Marzipano was, was a kind of dead in the water for us because we didn't really want to invest in something that big and then have it maybe go away or... Man, that's that really scared me, which was I have no ability to go back and edit a panorama tour. That scared me a lot. And if your computer crashes and you're you didn't quite get it all saved or something, you were kind oh, of Oh absolutely. Screwed. Absolutely. But Pano two VR, uh, what were you talking about? Yeah, Pano two VR, it's it's completely customizable. It's it, I think it ranked a nine on the pull your hair out with all the the crazy settings it has, but it is just so amazingly customizable. I'm really enjoying playing with it. We've only had it for a couple of days and I've already made one tour for a customer, for a client. And I did a, a video fly through of, of the house on the, on the 360 tour, all the 360 images. You can put keyframes to look up, down, left, right, zoom in, zoom out. And 10 minutes of playing around and I had an amazing video like that. I can skin it how I want. I can put a floor plan up. I can put a Google map up and, and have everything kind of work together. You can have video, video as well, uh, video elements, information box elements. We've, we had a bunch of them on our website from Panellum, and I'm really looking forward to uh, redoing that using the Pano 2 VR and, and making the skin. When Christine said skin, I can make the, the tour itself look how I want it. I can customize what the hotspots look like. I can customize what the info boxes look like. Really, really amazing software. It was, what was it? 400 and I think it was 415, $425. And I think it's well worth it. It's definitely well worth it. And the, the images are, everything is customizable and the images are crisp and clean. And when you export it, just like Panellum and Marzipano, Pano, whatever it is, uh, Pano 2 VR gives you a, a directory of images. You drop it on your, your web server. You drop it on your client server. You give it to your client to drop in there and then and then link it, and, and you're good. Right. The viewer, everything is right then and there. No web programming except for embedding it into a WordPress document or the web page, whatever. It, it has a lot of options, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you can do with it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. And it as the customize the the way you can customize it and the buttons and to have the different tools available, I think it's gonna Yeah, the skins. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be pretty good. good. I've got one more program that I, I I have here on my list of must haves, and that is called XF Fixer. E X I F F I X E R. If you are into the three sixty stuff, either professionally or for fun. And if you're into it professionally, you're going to be into it for fun likely as well. Sometimes your images will lose that 
the fact that they are panoramas. They are 360-degree images in the EXIF or the metadata. And there's a program called EXIF Fixer. And sometimes I will dump something on Facebook, dump something on social media. It doesn't see it as a panorama. doesn't see it as a 360 at all. Delete it. Pop it in EXIF Fixer. Have it fix the you know, it'll It'll append all the metadata and then resave it and then put it up and and you're good to go. But I think that's about it for for 360s. Like I said, we had a couple of people that that kind of asked how how all that stuff worked and asked if we could kind of reelaborate and, and just people asking questions. So I figured why not talk about it a little bit. I hope you found that interesting whether or not you're getting into 360 photography or you just like all kinds of new fun stuff. Uh, that's a it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed listening to all the information and well, you to have share to. It. You have to. You can't go. You can't leave. <laughs> uh, let us know what you think. Let us know. What, are you are you shooting three sixties? Have you ever shot three sixty? Are you something you're interested in? Let us know. You can connect with us on our Facebook group or through email at podcast at underredglow.com. As always, your comments just might make it into a future episode. And as always, a big thank you to everyone for continuing to join us. All the love and support we've received from people liking us on Facebook, subscribing and rating us on your podcast platform of choice. And also a big thank you to our Patreon subscription supporters. We're starting at just a buck. You can get our shows early with our supporters only after show. All of that adds. Be sure to check out other supporter tiers as well, which are geared towards bringing you along on our photography projects with great rewards. All of our links can be found in our show notes and also on www.underredglow.com. And now with episode 110 down, it's been our absolute pleasure spending this time with you. Please be sure to subscribe to Under Red Glow. And if you'd earn your recommendation to any of the photographers of any skill level or process, we would certainly appreciate you sharing us with them. A big thank you to my co-host, Christine Milliker, and of course, everyone for listening. If you are listening on Patreon or our supporter page, stay tuned for the after show. Thanks for tuning in. Look forward to visiting with you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.